Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. I just love how following Jesus is so natural and yet it's so supernatural. That it's actually just conversations sometimes. That actually sometimes it's just as we're worshipping, there's an unction, there's something that happens in here and you go, oh, God's doing something. He's getting my attention on something. And it's when we place ourselves in positions that we become aware of more than just the natural around us. And I actually want to start here. We sang earlier. I'm sorry, I'm jumping in. I hope that's okay. We sang earlier where it said, um, holy, holy, holy. That comes from Revelations. That God is a holy God. And connected with that is this, this encouragement throughout Scripture to reverence God. I want to help us as we start today to understand what is going on there. So when we say God is holy, he is not separate from us. He is not someone to be feared when we say reverence. I think of it this way. How many know if you're a sports fan in some way, whatever the sport is, there's a stadium, there is a location that you would call like hallowed ground, right? So in, in, in cricket, it's... Lords in England, I think. Any cricketers? Is that right? Yeah, so hallowed ground, like you're at Lords. For us in Australia, probably the closest thing we have is the MCG, right? It's like, okay, this is hallowed ground. This is special ground. And the dynamic I want us to get is this. If you have been dreaming of being an AFL player or a cricket player and you want to play at the MCG and suddenly you get the opportunity, it is this holy ground in the, in the mind of that sport. When you get that idea, you get that opportunity, you step onto that field, this holy place, as it were. And it's not something that you fear, but you reverence because you realize the presence of what you, what you are in the presence of. That Donald Bradman played there, that those AFL stars played there, and you realize you're in a holy place, as it were. And you realize who you're in the presence of. And that has this effect of not actually going, oh, I'm afraid right now. It actually has this effect of calling us up. You want to rise to the occasion, right? You want to rise to the opportunity of where you are. And so when we say, God, you are holy, we reverence you, it's actually this dynamic that we are entering into, that we're coming to a place of a loving Father, a loving God who is there and, and is reaching, and we go, whoa, you are so great, and yet I am so drawn to rise to that. Does that make sense? And so as we come today, this message is, a, is, is, is within that context of a call to rise. But it's not a call to rise in the sense of striving, but it's once we know who we are in the presence of, why would we not do what we're going to talk about today? It's a call to rise. And so with that, we're going to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is the second last week we're going to be in Colossians. It's been an amazing journey. I love those moments when we go through a book like we have. And today we're going to verse, chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. And then next week, Pastor Nathan is going to finish off. But let's jump in with that filter in mind. This is a call to rise, not to strive. So in verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul writes this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Ah, 
Thank you, Paul. Isn't that a fun few words there? Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. Notice Paul's dependence expressed in the request for prayer. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here Paul is moving from a theology or a theory of God to the practice of following Jesus. And he, he says this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. He is giving a call to the Colossians and inherently to us, to the practice of prayer. Don't just know about prayer. Don't just think about prayer. Don't just pick up on it as a nice idea. Practice prayer. Paul is putting this before us as an encouragement, as a challenge. Hear it as a calling up, not as a, oh, I've got to do more now. It's another religious thing I've got to do and I've got to find time. I'll say it up front. I am a routine guy. I am a to-do list guy. If I know there's something I want to put in my life, I schedule it in. My wife is completely different. And that brings great joy to our household. I, I am so like this that the Christmas gift I got from my Nexus Care team a couple years ago was a uniquely designed to-do list page that I can print off and is specifically for me. That's how much they know this is how I'm wired. But when it comes to this, the challenge for me and the encouragement for me, and if you're like me, is to not read this as, okay, I've got to schedule this in, and maybe there is a bit of routine to build this practice in, but it's not about striving. There's something deeper here Paul wants us to get that is in the power of prayer, of being, becoming aware of the presence of who we are in, and then why not would we bring all that we are in continual conversation to him rather than carrying the load ourselves? It's a calling up to prayer. We see for Paul, when we think about those words, devote yourself to prayer. Like, I, I don't know what other things in your life you use that word devote for. I, for husbands and wives, it would be a word you might use. I'm devoted to my husband or my wife. You might use it in a word for your kids or maybe about your career. They're just so devoted to their career. Or as a sportsman, you might go, they're devoted to their sport. Or if you're creative, you're devoted to your craft. But I don't know how many of us would use the word devoted in connection with prayer. And yet Paul joins these two up. Like we'd use it in devotion to Jesus and devotion to God. But this isn't how we would often line it up, line it up devoted to prayer like Keep turning up when it's easy and when it's not. When I feel like I want to not, devotion to prayer would be keep turning up. But it's also like the things that we devote ourselves to are the things that shape our life. And I think there's something in that that Paul is pointing us to that as we let prayer shape our life, it transforms us to become more like Christ. What we devote ourselves to shapes our life. And so the first question today is this, what do you find yourself consciously or unconsciously actually devoting yourself to? And how is that shaping your life right now? 
He says, devote yourself to prayer. And he adds two adjectives to this. He says, being watchful and being thankful. Watchful synonyms for that would be alert. Prayer that is watchful, prayer that is alert, prayer that is awake is another synonym. It's prayer that causes us to be awake. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am a heavy sleeper. So I, I fall asleep really quickly. A whole night of activity can go on and it's happened before. The dog's going off, noises outside, babies next door, whatever it is. And I can sleep right through it, whereas my wife, again, opposite, she'll hear it all and I'll hear about it in the morning. <laughs> but I've had a good sleep. I can sleep heavy, so much so I sleep heavy that in the first couple of years of our marriage, Liz would actually have trouble waking me up. So I'd fall asleep on the couch and she like shake me, whatever. I wouldn't wake up. That's how heavy I would sleep. And so she decided one time to actually try and wake me up by being really sweet and coming in for a kiss. And in that moment, when she comes in for a kiss, she tells me, because I didn't wake up, she tells me, I said, stop spitting on me, stop spitting on me. It was good in the first couple of years of marriage. It really helped. <clears throat> so she's never tried that again. But we know as humans the difference. I know this is really bad. We know the difference between being awake and aware, alert, watchful to our surroundings and being asleep. And I would suggest, as I've found in my walk, that there is <clears throat> this, um, I guess, danger, this risk that actually, if I just keep in the motions of walking with Jesus, I just sing the songs, I just lift my hands at the right, I just do the stuff I believe I'm meant to do in following Jesus religiously, that we find ourselves actually asleep in our walk with Christ. That actually we can find ourselves asleep in, in, in what to our surroundings. And in fact, Paul here in this book of Colossians has been saying, hey, one of the risks for you is that you you get drawn back to and put asleep again in the old beliefs, in the old behaviors. Instead, no, you are alive, you're not dead, you're awake, you're not asleep anymore to the realities of the world around you, to all that God is doing, the great things you begin to see, and also the forces that would work against the light going forward. Prayer, I would suggest, Paul is saying, helps us keep awake to truly see the environment around us, to what is going on beyond the natural. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being alert, awake, watchful. But he balances that with thankfulness. Thankfulness. Pastor Cam spoke on gratefulness not long last week. And I want to just dig a little deeper because there's a key here, and I believe it's a key for some people specifically today. When I think of thankfulness, I can't help but go back to, and I'll find it here, Psalm 69, 14, where the psalmist writes, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving, right? I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. I think often when we hear magnify, we think of the magnifying glass, right? And in one sense, that's, that's somewhat accurate. It makes something small bigger. I don't know if you ever, any guys here, any ladies, you use the magnifying glass just to get the sun in the right spot and light the, the grass, yeah? It, it makes things bigger, right? But I would suggest what's being said here is less like a magnifying glass and more like a telescope. You know at night when, the, when it's clear at night and you can see the moon, right? And you can fit the moon between your fingers. You can see it with your natural eye. There's the moon there. But you put a telescope in place, and what it does is it it begins to magnify the moon to be more true its size and everything else in right proportion to it. 
I think that's what the psalmist is pointing us to in part, that when we give thanks to God, when we choose to focus our attention in prayer with thankfulness, that it magnifies God to be more true his size in our perspective. And all of those challenges and those pains in our life begin to find right perspective, right perspective next to his true size. That prayer with thankfulness is actually not a technique to ignore our problems and our pains, but more so puts them in their true size, context, perspective for us compared to how great and big he truly is. Magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. As we start to think through these things, we realize why Paul is beginning to say to us through the Colossians, man, devote yourself to prayer being watchful, being thankful. I think also if we take a step back as we understand that prayer matters to Paul, it matters so much that he's asking for more prayer from the Colossians for him. I think we take a step back from Colossians, we look at New Testament, we quickly realize that the dominant worldview of the New Testament is a spiritual warfare worldview. That actually, if we would sum it up, and we can, all, we can think of so many things of what that might be, and you might have certain images of what it means when I say spiritual warfare worldview, but we bring it down to John chapter 1. The, speaking of Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. At its core, that's what we're talking about. When we look through Scripture at Jesus' ministry, his ministry was one of engaging in spiritual warfare, so much so that at the cross, his, the death and the resurrection, at that moment, the forces of darkness had dealt the ultimate blow and yet not the final blow. And so the rest of the New Testament is working out, well, now that Jesus is risen in glory, now that the prince of darkness has been pushed back, now that death does not have the final stay, how will the people of God live? And what we know is that the victory that Jesus achieved on the cross, by that same power, he now empowers us. He empowers us to continue to push the forces of darkness back. The key here is to know that Jesus has dealt the ultimate blow, but we're waiting for the final blow. And so what that means is that prayer is a part of prayer is actually engaging us into a contested space. That our prayer matters because we're engaging into a contested space. I would put it like this. If you know anything about AFL, Aussie rules, the first thing you need to know, and this is the reason I never played it, you have to wear short shorts, okay? You have sleeves that don't have sleeves. I don't know why, maybe flexibility, but I've never played it and never will. But I know this about Aussie rules and I will bring us all in on this. There's this stat that they track and it's a stat called contested ball. How many times you, win, you go up and you win contested ball or contested marks? And the reality is, is that the more you go up and the more you contest and then win those balls, the more chance you're going to have of winning. I think of prayer a little bit like this. Prayer is that willingness to engage into a contested space, to keep going up whether I feel it or not, knowing that as I do, we're heading towards breakthrough. We're heading towards winning. And what I mean by that is Christ has won, 
but there's this contested space that we're still engaging. We see Paul engaging. He says, pray that there would be open doors. Why are there not open doors everywhere? Because there's still a contested space to be engaged in and to vote ourselves to in prayer, whether we see the difference or not. Because as we continue to go up, as we continue to pray, it makes a difference. Let me take this a little more deeply and practically. The author Ian Bounds says this, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. The prayer of God's saints are the capital stock of heaven by which God carries on his great work upon earth. God conditions the very life and prosperity of his, prayer, of his cause on prayer. What an honor. What a challenge. What a calling up. And practically, like, what does that look like then? What does that look like? Paul, he says in, Romans, sorry, in Colossians 1 that he gives thanks for the Colossians for their love and their faith. And so that prompts him to pray. But he also says, I'm continually bringing all of you before God in prayer. What does this continual conversation, this engagement of prayer, this stepping into the contested spaces, whether we see the results or not, knowing we're part of a bigger picture, what does that look like practically? I think it helps us to think of how some have described Smith Wigglesworth. It was said of Smith Wigglesworth that he never prayed longer than 20 minutes, but he never went 20 minutes without praying. I think for me, I am trying to learn that it is when I hear an ambulance, I pray. When Liz and I are talking and we're talking about something that then we, we go, let's pray about that. We'll just pray and then we'll keep talking. That's a part of a natural flow. I think sometimes for me, it's when I'm walking to a meeting and I, 10 seconds, I'm praying, God, help me in this place. Give us your wisdom. And then I walk into that meeting. I think sometimes it's when you hear of a health challenge. For me, I'm trying, you know, I pray in that moment or just as I've heard of it. When I'm out at the shops and I see someone struggling and maybe it's not for me to engage with them, but I see them from afar and I go, okay, I'm going to pray. I think it's something like that, but it's a little more. But it's something like that. I'm learning. What does it look like for you? If you're on a scale of 1 to 10 and 1 is not praying at all, 10 is like whatever the dream is, where would you put yourself right now and what would it take, what would it look like to go from a, that maybe up another point on that scale? What would that look like for you? I think sometimes the challenge we have with prayer, and I find myself, is that we fear that it actually doesn't matter, that it actually won't make a difference. And maybe our circumstances and the prayers we prayed in the past and we don't seemingly see God do anything, maybe that's led us to that point. But I've been challenged, and, and I will say this, that earlier in the year, in the first Sunday of this year, I preached on when it feels like God's on mute, when it feels and it appears as if God's not even present in the prayers we're praying. And there's complexities and there's mystery to that, but I have been also challenged to not let my experience shape my theology and actually go, hey, God, I see what your word is saying. I am challenged and I will lean into the mysteries of it all. But what I realize is when, as Paul is saying, as I devote myself to prayer, Things shift, whether I see it or not. And I've been challenged on that. And so, practically, what does it look like for you? As I said, one of the challenges I think we have with 
engaging in a life of prayer is because we fear that it won't matter. That we feel like, well, God's going to just make up his decisions anyway. He's just going to do what he does. So why does he need me to, uh, to pray a prayer? Is he, you know, in some way, is he um, egotistical and just likes to hear my voice asking him things? No. God's not like that. That's not sovereignty, him just doing what he wants. We're in a covenant relationship where we get to influence each other. But we can, I think, just on the surface, feel that way, and it reduces us, the passion, the desire, the devotion to pray. But I want to encourage you with something that we were encouraged in in a sermon a couple months ago, because it it really helped me, and I want to take us back there as we think on that. Genesis 1, 1 to 3. It says in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a summary without the details of how creation came about. But then in verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have in verse 2, the Holy Spirit is there, but no creative action has happened. He's ready, he's poised, he's hovering, but there's no change yet. And then in verse 3, it says, Then God spoke, or God says, Let there be light, and there was light. What happened? We have God's spoken word. We have the Spirit hovering. And they combine in partnership. And from that, creation is birthed. Change happens. What does this look like in our prayer life? It means that every time we pray according to the spoken, to the word of God... The Holy Spirit takes what we praise, combines it in partnership, and moves in power. That is the basic theology of prayer. And that means two things. One, it reminds us why some of our prayers are useless. I'll put it this way. Let me explain. Liz and I have been praying for her to get a 64 sky blue convertible Mustang. That's her dream car. By the way, anyone has one? Let me know. <laughs> Wants to give it for free, of course. <laughs> it hasn't happened. I've been praying also for 18 years that the Broncos, Brisbane Broncos, would win the grand final since 2006. That has not happened. Maybe they'll do it this year, but I have a suspicion it's not because I've been praying for 19 years. What's going on there? I'm praying, I know it's a silly example, but I'm praying my words. They're my will. They're my desires, and that's okay, and I think they're good words, and I'd love for them to come true, but they're not prayers that are God's prayers. They're not his words. They're not his will, his nature. The second thing we learn is from what we've talked in Genesis 1 is that when we do pray according to the will of God, 1 John 5.14 says this, when we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. So number one, he hears us. And if he hears us, then we know that we have what we ask of him. So this is what we're being told. So when we pray according to the will and the word of God, the Holy Spirit takes that in that space and combines it in partnership and moves in power. Jesus puts it this way. And I just want to acknowledge again, I know this is challenging because we pray prayers and they haven't been answered and they're prayers that we would say according to the will and the nature and the word of God. Just come with me. Jesus says it this way, and he says it not once, twice, three or four, but five times from John 13 to John 17. He says, if you pray anything in my name, it will be done. The important thing we pick up there 
is that Jesus is not saying his name is some kind of magical incantation. You just say your prayer and then put in Jesus' name on the end and it will be done. He's not saying this is the open sesame of the kingdom of God. In fact, in that time, the name of someone was synonymous with the nature of the person. And so what he is saying there is whenever you come to learn and understand the nature of God and pray according to that, it will be done. And my mind goes straight to then what is the nature of God? And we see throughout the word of God, but there's no clearer picture than Jesus. And in fact, Jesus' own words articulating his mission and his nature and the will of God. And we see that in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, he says himself, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Notice the spirit. The spirit is hovering. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Man, if we're struggling to understand the word, the will, the nature of God, just go to Luke 4 and start there. Imagine that, that we would be a people who would be devoted to prayer that says, Lord, open the doors for your gospel to go forward into the hearts and lives of people. To those who are poor, that's not just physically poor, but poor in spirit, which means it's all of us, because we all are in need of our Saviour. Imagine if we were people who were devoted to prayer, that prayed for the prisoners to be set free, according to God's nature. Imagine if we're people who are devoted to prayer, that is praying that those who are blind would, be, would have sight, both spiritual and physical. Man, imagine if we were a people devoted to prayer that prays that the oppressed would be set free. It's not the only prayers to pray, but when we come to understanding that when we pray the word, the will, the nature of God, the Holy Spirit takes that and he combines it in partnership and moves our stories forward. He moves in power. Transformation happens. Man, I reckon that's a good place to start. And I'm going to invite the team up. I want to ask, what are the prayers that you've stopped praying? What are the things in your heart that you've laid down? Maybe because on the surface you've not seen the outcome, you've not seen what you thought would be the outcome of those prayers. I do acknowledge pastorally that there's complexities. There's times when we just don't get why it doesn't happen the way we want. We think it should. But I've been challenged to not let that shape my life of prayer. Because I've realized over time that prayer engages us into a contested space where the forces of darkness have been dealt the final blow, the ultimate blow, but not yet the final blow. And we as a part of Christ's body are called into that space Ephesians 6 speaks of that more. That we're called to rise up in the presence, knowing the presence of whom we are in, God Almighty. And when we realize that, to rise up and go, this is a calling up to another level in my life that will not create burden, but will create freedom. As I learn to walk as one devoted in prayer 
to my Savior. So what are those prayers, those beliefs in your heart, those things you were longing for that you've laid down, that you go, that is, a, is something that fits within the nature, the will, the word of God in my life, in my family's life, in my work life. Would you maybe today consider picking those things up again with faith rising in your heart? What would it look like, as I said earlier, for you to go from wherever you would put yourself on that scale of not praying at all as a zero and ten, whatever the dream is, what would take you from that point you put yourself one notch further towards 10? What would it look like this week? So with that, I want to invite you to close your eyes and ponder those questions with the Holy Spirit for yourself. Notice Paul did not give the Colossians a theology or a theory of prayer, but he called them to the practice of prayer. It'd be remiss if all you got today was a better understanding of prayer without the impetus to practice prayer. So what would that look like? What are the things you've laid down? We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.